back to another episode of now what's called the Asia DeFi Network Podcast. And today we're going to continue with our Polkadot series where we talk to the top founders in the Polkadot and Kusama ecosystem. And we have with us today one of the leading projects and uh, targeting privacy in the Polkadot ecosystem, Kenny from Manta Network. Hey there. All right, Kenny, it's great to have you here. Would you like to start off with a quick intro of yourself and just like a one-liner on Manta? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, just a quick intro about myself. I've been, um, I guess, in the blockchain space for a while now. Uh, Started more on the mining side back in around 2013. And that kind of got into a lot of uh, issues that I've tried to solve since then in the blockchain space. Um, Initially around like Bitcoin liquidity, because that was a problem back then. But then as more adoption, user adoption, use cases, right, Ethereum and its Turing completeness came out. Um, yeah, I started, uh, you know, thinking more and more about like on-chain identity and privacy. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's just kind of a little bit about my background and, you know, I met the founders back in 2018. So it's myself and, um, Victor and Shumo who are the founders of the project. Uh, we all met in Boston. I was going for my MBA at the time over at MIT. And then, um, Victor was studying for his master's in econ and Shumo was a research scientist at Algorand. And so we were all in the, you know, Boston area. And that's, so that's how we, that's how we met. Um, and we realized together that like, there is a huge problem with uh, privacy on chain, especially. And so, you know, that's a problem we set out to tackle. And that's, that's how we built Manta Network. Um, and the unique value proposition here is that, you know, we've seen a lot of privacy projects in the space, but where we really want to differentiate is that, we're not asking people to use any particular privacy token. In fact, you know, we're, we're quite the opposite. We're on a mission to privatize all on-chain transactions for various crypto assets. Awesome. Awesome. So I think indeed that will be the focus of our discussion, at least in the beginning, right? So which is, what is privacy? Why is it important? And I know it's, I know it's been discussed a lot of times, uh, yeah. but I like to just bring in the angle of, uh, you know, Web3 itself, right? I think in the Polkadot ecosystem, there is an emphasis on the values of Web3, which include, of course, like the whole self-sovereignty and immutability, but also in terms of transparency, right? There's a certain reliance on this, like, uh, can't be evil kind of thing, or like verify and don't trust. So the ability to verify includes not only the code, but also certain transactions that are happening, who are making them in real time, right? So how do you kind of like think about privacy fitting in to the values of Web3. What does privacy mean to you? Why is it important in Web3? Yeah, um, I think when you think about Web3, right? Like I think the term Web3 is, it, it indicates that we are transitioning into a new stage of, I guess, the bigger picture of the internet. Um, and, you know, when you think about the internet and the problems of Web2.0, I'd say definitely privacy is one of the top issues here. Um, but even so, right? Like if you think about Web2.0, um, how would I ever see your credit card information? How would I ever see your debit card transactions, your bank account? I can't, right? Unless I steal your identity or, you know, figure out your password and all this other stuff, um, then there's no way for me to view your transactions. Everything is private, right? And you don't really just come up to people and tell them about all of your transactions. But that's not the case with, with Web3, right? All on-chain transactions are fully public. And so 
the only sort of the only layer of protection currently available for on-chain transactions is um, this this idea of pseudo anonymity. And I say pseudo anonymity because you know you have your wallet address, but you have all the transactions linked to your wallet address. Um, and so as, some, as soon as someone is able to link your wallet address to your identity, they can see all the transactions you've done, uh, which wallet addresses you sent it to, which applications you've interacted with in the past, how often you've interacted with them, right? And so all this data, all this information, not just financial data, but just, you know, if you think two to five years from now, all the decentralized applications um, and how you interact with them, that's fully accessible to anyone with an internet connection. And we're already having a problem with that. You know, people are concerned about Facebook having your data or Google having your data. But now with Web3, how about everyone with an internet connection having your data, right? And so, you know, it becomes a bigger and bigger problem. And we, we decided on Polkadot for a few different reasons, right? Like, you know, self-sovereignty, trust without having to necessarily trust, right? I mean, I think those are all concepts that at first it may, may contradict the idea of privacy. Um, but if you really dig into it, especially with like algorithmic-based approach to privacy, the fact of the matter is that you can still verify. Um, it's not like a transaction doesn't actually happen. It actually does happen. It's just that the transaction itself is obfuscated in a way that it can be proven that it happened, but you would never understand or see the specifics of exactly what's happening. And that's, that's the whole concept behind zero knowledge proofs. Um, but, you know, just to stick high level here, uh, going back to why we chose Polkadot is, you know, we, we, we believe that privacy needs to be integrated from day one. And so, you know, from there we decided, okay, we need to set out to find an ecosystem that's burgeoning, um, that has a lot of potential and also, you know, where we can be in the forefront of it. And so from that perspective, right, Polkadot already fits the profile. We also need interoperability because as building as a layer one, right, like we, we either we or what we've seen is that other projects are saying, come build on our ecosystem. But that gets exhausting, right? Like projects have to choose where to build, whether it's a layer two or a layer one or Ethereum or something like that, right? Um, so why, why do we have to ask people to build on top of us? Why can't people just build and we'll connect to them? Right. And so that's a unique value proposition to Polkadot, right? Being able to build these types of layer ones. And so like with all these factors in mind, we, we thought that Polkadot was the, the ideal choice for how we would build our layer one system. Um, and yeah, we're here and, you know, Polkadot has been an amazing ecosystem from both the technical side as well as the community side. So well, couldn't have made a better choice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we covered quite a bit there. Uh, if I may just unpack it a little bit, you mentioned the parallels between kind of like verify, but you don't need to know the specifics of the transaction. You just need to know that it was executed correctly and that can be done by a code and nobody else can tamper with it. Right. And, and the other concept was a kind of a radical transparency almost of Web3, where like instead of these companies having control of your data, uh, but only they can see it, now it's kind of like anybody can see everything. And that's kind of scary. But at the same time, it almost kind of like levels the playing field and kind of opens up the philosophy of like what it means to have privacy and why do you really need privacy, right? What parts do you need to protect, right? Because I think if we go down into some specifics uh, of like a transaction or, or an activity, right? There are a few components. So who is doing it? So that part is somewhat protected by pseudonymity, uh, although you some people do 
attach to a kind of on-chain identity. Next is kind of what you are doing. So what are you transacting? Who are you? Uh, what are you interacting with? What contracts? What counterparties? Right, and that is the part that seems to be uh, in contention because it's on chain and, and transparent. And then I think the last part is kind of like, why are you doing it? So this part is by default private because it's off chain, right? Are you doing it? Are you selling it because you need cash? Are you selling because you're no longer bullish? Are you selling because there's some insider information of this project going to announce something that is negative or you are buying because it's a positive thing, right? So uh, since the, the, the what or who is doing it and, and like why they're doing it, it's kind of like already private or, or kind of optional if you like to disclose. Uh, why is it still important to then anonymize what is happening as long as the other parts are kind of like controlled? Well, I... I guess that's kind of the irony, right? Because the other parts aren't exactly controlled. Um, you know, the idea that your identity is entirely uh, obfuscated by a wallet address is quite a misnomer, right? Um, you, you use, for example, a centralized exchange to on-ramp, and then you on-ramp and withdraw to that, uh, withdraw to what you assume to be anonymous address, right? Maybe not everyone in the world knows exactly it's you, but one, the centralized exchange knows it's you, and two, uh, every other uh, software that the centralized exchange uses to track identity knows it's you as well. And so that type of, you know, that, that feeling of safety of that pseudo anonymity is honestly just one hack away, right? Because when you have centralized servers with centralized databases, then there's one point of vulnerability to identify as much information as possible. And so essentially, we're, we're bringing Web 2.0 problems into the Web 3.0 sphere. And I think, you know, this is one of those problems that we probably shouldn't want to have if we don't need to have. Um, and so there, there is that misconception that, you know, there is complete, uh, you know, um, um, I guess, obfuscation anonymity there. And so I, I just want to clarify, right? So that, that's kind of one sort of risk factor. And the other one, you know, in terms of why, people don't necessarily need to know why. And sometimes... Uh, when people don't know why, it leads to even bigger problems, right? Because I'm sure, you know, being in the crypto space, a lot of things are speculative. <laughs> and people like to speculate. People like to think and guess and try to figure out what's going on. And, you know, last thing you want is for um, a large, I guess, like influential figure purchasing some sort of asset or selling some sort of asset just in the DeFi side, right? And then having the rest of the community sort of speculate about what's going on and, you know, taking subsequent actions um, that could be not the intention of the original, you know, user. Um, and then if you look into, again, like, you know, two to five years from now, right? Like when, when decentralized applications and Web 3.0 really start taking off, um, you know, the, the whys, um, it, it becomes a little bit more obvious, right? Like a very contrived example would be, I don't know, it's your birthday and I want to buy you a birthday present. And so you see exactly which website I went to, which smart contract I interacted with for what product, right? And so that ruins the surprise. And that's just a very simple kitty example, right? Like, I mean... Maybe you don't want the whole internet to know that you paid for a subscription to something like OnlyFans, right? <laughs> like, it's just all sorts of information that, you know, like you, you think would be okay in Web 3.0 because there's this philosophy of the transparency, but 
in reality, right, you have to find a balance. And so there has to be that mix of privacy mixed with the public side. And so I think that's, that's what we're trying to bring to the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think those examples are super relatable. And if I may bring in some, some uh, kind of Web3 examples as well, right, where people are, for example, shilling their own NFT profile picture, and they're like, hey, I, I want to show that I have this cool PFP. I want to show I'm part of this community and I own this particular one. But at the same time, I don't want to necessarily disclose everything about my financial transactions. I don't want to show that NFT, but I don't want to use like so many different addresses. I want to manage them uh, nicely. So that that is already a challenge. Uh, and at the same time, I also want to kind of have an on-chain reputation, right? Where I want to show that I've been contributing to this, uh, maybe particular DAO, I've been using this product. And often this is also used for like airdrops and things like that. Uh, but maybe I also don't want to know exactly, you know, how much I put in or like, what is my wealth? But I, you want to be able to prove that like I contributed uh, to this product. I contributed to this DAO and you, you don't need to tie a lot of financial information to that. So I think that the lesson I got from you there is around like the optionality, right? Like when it's a particular thing like a birthday or like a particular subscription, as you said, you may want to obfuscate that, but you can choose which parts you want to show to the world and, and have that kind of flexibility as individuals. Right, exactly. And I think that that kind of gets right into the heart of exactly what we're trying to build, right? Because, uh, you know, I had mentioned at the uh, earlier that we're, we're thinking about, you know, how we become interoperable and bring privacy, a privacy layer to other projects. And that's where kind of the polka dot value proposition comes in. And, you know, from our perspective, right, privacy should really be a utility rather than a product, right? So, you know, if you think about it, going to having to go to Manta Network, uh, in order to use privacy is is good for the project, but it's not really good for a user experience, right? In, instead, if you're able to privatize assets directly from your wallet toggling on and off, or if you're able to privatize assets and do, um, I guess, transactions in a privacy-preserving manner on other chains within the Polkadot ecosystem, right? Like then, then it becomes a scenario where you don't even have to worry or care about like the fact that Manta Network is doing it. We're just kind of doing it behind the scenes, right? It's like you t you open up your laptop and you're connected to the internet, but you don't have to care about who your internet provider is, right? And so like with Polkadot, that's exactly what we're doing. We're providing the optionality for privacy, but you don't have to worry about like who's providing it. It's just, it's a toggle feature that's on and off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and indeed that is one of the core kind of like killer um, features, not killer kind of like properties of the Polkadot ecosystem, right? It's native cross-chain applications where instead of like, oh yeah, you use this particular smart contract or like you, you work on this chain, it's kind of like all these can interoperate so easily and uh, any dApp can potentially just use Manta as a privacy layer or as a privacy utility, right? So would you like to just share a bit more about that, uh, this idea of cross-chain applications, which ones are coming up, uh, what do you foresee coming, uh, and you know, how would they work with Manta? Because I understand that currently there are some products on Manta itself, right? Like there's a payment a product that is also a, a DEX product. So how, where are we now in terms of like products and how will we evolve to this uh, cross-chain functionality or, or are we already there? 
Yeah. So, I mean, and, and in terms of a cross-chain functionality, right, like we are, I guess, officially speaking, we are kind of already there, although, you know, parachains haven't officially all launched yet. So, you know, uh, on the test net, we're, I guess, officially there, right? Like we've already done sort of XCM, the cross-chain communication across, you know, various uh, parachain projects or future parachain projects, right? Like uh, we've done a test net uh, transaction through XCM with like a Kala and a couple of other projects. And, you know, um, so, so in terms of the cross-chain communication, it's definitely there, right? Like in terms of our products, yes, we're launching a few of our own products as well, because we do see a pretty unique need for um, certain services right now. Um, and so in the short term, right, we've got MantaPay, which is our private transaction product. And so the way that MantaPay works is that you're able to privatize various parachain assets, including like DOT, um, and you're able to use that privacy preserving version of that parachain asset and transact it to anyone that you want, right? And so that's, that's really the, the private transaction product. And then the uh, privacy swap product, our AMM DEX, um, is Mantis Swap. Um, and so it's pretty, it sounds like exactly what it does. It allows you to exchange various tokens in a privacy preserving manner. Um, but, you know, with all that being said, right, like we are focused on transitioning into Manta 2.0. And that's, you know, our third goal after we launch Manta Swap. And this is where we really focus on bringing all the technology behind the products that we're building and offering out that technology to other parachain projects. Um, because the, the whole philosophy here is like, you know, if you're building a DeFi product or if you're building an NFT marketplace or if you're building a metaverse, et cetera, you shouldn't need to hire your own in-house cryptography team just to implement and maintain you know, your, your privacy preservation, right? Like that should be a service that you can use. And Polkadot creates the perfect ecosystem through interoperability to provide as a service products, right? And so with Manta Network, being able to provide privacy as a service kind of uh, not only alleviates a lot of the, the technical barriers for other projects to start adopting privacy, but also maintains the mission of, you know, making Manta Network into that privacy utility. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So it's kind of like we already started testing and it's already in a very clear direction to moving towards. I think Polkadot ecosystem itself is not yet a kind of like as mature as some of the others where there are a lot of live applications where people are using all these products. But it's certainly nice to see that we are already positioning ourselves uh, for this kind of very efficient future. Uh, in comparison, I'd like to just bring in some... Perhaps Apple, I'm not sure whether it's like apples to apples kind of comparisons. And I know a lot of people have compared uh, Manta to other privacy preserving protocols or projects, which might have different approaches, right? They use like uh, trust execution environments, uh, or they might also use some form of like ZK rollups. Uh, uh, but they have, they have different trade offs, right? I think you mentioned that, for example, like uh, Zcash, you would need to transact in Zcash, right? Or certain TEEs, right? Uh, it's about the hardware, uh, about the execution itself, but like the on-chain stuff is, is not necessarily private. And so there, either we have some benefits or we have uh, different features, then you can be synergistic. Uh, but I, I like to actually today dive into a comparison with ZK rollups, right? Because to me, this sounds a lot more similar to, to what you're talking about, whereby like I can have different applications, but I choose to compute uh, on a Manta network, the on-chain parts, so that it is privacy-preserving. And potentially, I don't know whether it could be more scalable and so on as well, right? So 
how do you see your comparison versus, uh, say, StarkNet and ZK Sync on a conceptual level and maybe getting to some of the technicals as well? Yeah, so um, I think on a high level, in terms of a ZK rollup, um, analogously, maybe I, I can kind of stretch it around to try to, to find similarities. But I think, like, ultimately, the use case is a little different, right? A ZK rollup is is primarily used, I guess, on a low, on one layer, it's, it's privacy. But on the other layer, it's primarily geared towards scalability. Um, and so, you know, the way that it works is, you know, you, you have batch transaction processing, um, but the way that that happens is that there is that level, there is that uh, step where it becomes, you know, a public transaction goes into a private transaction, and then it comes back out on the other side as another public transaction. And whether or not that purpose is for privacy is uh, potentially secondary to the fact that it, it just creates that uh, performance layer so that you have better scalability, better performance, especially for like layer two ZK rollups. Um, for us, it's a little bit different, right? Like we're not, we're not taking a public asset, privatizing it, and then spitting it back out as a public asset on the other end, right? Like we, uh, because we are our own layer one, uh, we have a UTXO model. This allows for uh, permanent wallet addresses, which means that I can I can deposit, for example, ten dots, and I can use that ten the private dot to send I don't know three private dot to you, and then five private dot to someone else, and then that someone else can take that five private dot and continue to send and continue to send. Right? Like you can have an entire universe or ecosystem of private transactions uh, that never leaves the network. And so in that sense, right, it's, it's a little bit different than just, just the roll-up concept. Right, right. So if I may just kind of paraphrase that a little bit, uh, from the roll-up perspective, firstly, the objective is a lot about scalability. It might achieve some of the privacy properties, but fundamentally, you kind of like sending from public to private back to public. Whereas for Manta as a privacy prism, kind of layer one in itself, uh, you can have assets on the network and transactions on the network that doesn't necessarily have to leave. Uh, and so what does this mean for projects who want to use this uh, privacy layer, right? The, does that mean that their assets have to be kept in, you know, this uh, private form, right? Or how, how, what specifically do they need, like how much will they rely on Manta? How big of a part would it play in, let's say, uh, a full DAP, if you may just walk me through? Yeah, so anything, anything prior to the uh, privatization of the asset is on, um, is on the original network. Anything post-privatization of the asset is on Manta network. But this is kind of where, this is where the importance of, you know, cross-chain communication plays such a vital role, right? Because, you know, despite the fact that... Um, the, the asset uh, is on Manta network, you know, certain transactions, certain interactions can still occur um, that can, you know, be brought back to the other parachains. And that creates that sort of um, complexity cross-chain communication that, that we're looking for with, with the Polkadot ecosystem. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So the private, yeah. So the private assets in a way, uh, have to be minted on on the Manta network, but either before that you can do whatever you want it, or after you make it private, you can also have whatever arbitrary interactions you want with it uh, on different chains with different functionalities. And then if you ever want to kind of, uh, I guess, go back to non-private, you can go come back to the Manta network and uh, unwrap it, so to speak. Is that correct? Right, right. 
Yes, awesome, yes. Awesome. We are using that's the concept of a wrap. Great, great. Yeah, so I think like, yeah, thanks for unpacking that because I think this is quite a unique kind of way of, of running the cross-chain apps, right? I think like across all these episodes, we're trying to like unpack the idea of a cross-chain app, which is still so nascent in, in the Polkadot ecosystem. So it sounds like uh, if we may think about the target users then, right? Because we have a few different stakeholders can, that you can potentially work with. Uh, one is we talked about like the end user themselves, right? But then you also mentioned that the end users should not even know that they're using Manta. They should just enjoy the properties of privacy, right? So does that mean that who who then is the actual user of the, the technology of the layer, right? Is it, you know, the dApps themselves choose to like build on different, uh, different parts on different chains? Or is it even the chains themselves, right? The different other parachains who choose to then collaborate and then like by default, you know, make it such that it's even more seamless, you know, be it like more point to point or different type of transaction formats. Uh, how do you, how closely integrated uh, do you need to be with these different stakeholders? Yeah, so I, you know, we keep talking back to the Polkadot ecosystem and, you know, we're going back again, but um, we are, so if you think about it, right, like we are providing privacy as a service to um, the implementer, the other parent projects, um, so they can provide privacy as a value proposition to their user base, which is, you know, the users who are transacting. Um, and perspective, right, you can almost say that our direct customers, direct users would be other parachain projects, you know, of course, we have our own services with like ManSwap as like our short-term uh, projects and products that we're launching, which we would be interacting directly with the users. But in the long term, right, being able to bring this value proposition to other parachain projects means or implies that the parachain projects themselves would be our primary, you know, user base, um, and then they, you know, trickle down that value proposition to their community. Um, but that makes it very interesting for us and very, I guess, like. Uh, appropriate for the Polkadot ecosystem because in Polkadot, right, with, with cross-chain communication, it's not just like one day I'm just like, oh, you know what? I'm going to just connect to, um, I don't know, Moonbeam um, because it, that's not how cross-chain communication works, right? I have to, or our, Manta Network essentially has to write out the right code in order to implement cross-chain communication. And on Moonbeam side, Moonbeam has to write out the right code to Im uh, implement XCM to Manta network as well. And so like there has to be an agreement in place, right? Like Moonbeam and Manta network have to agree that there should be cross-chain communication because both sides have to open their doors. And that kind of speaks to the greater sort of community aspect of Polkadot because this encourages projects to collaborate, right? And so like we want, especially with our project, right? With privacy as a utility and trying to bring privacy to as many projects as possible, being in an environment where, you know, projects need to collaborate in order to be successful. Like that's, that's the perfect sweet spot for us to, to really grow very quickly. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how our cross-chain communications work, I guess. Thanks. Thanks. I know we were kind of like talking about it from like many different angles, so, but it, it's all helpful. It's all super helpful. Right. Right. I, now, I think since we're talking about Polkadot itself, right, shall we just um, go into some of the mechanisms on Polkadot? So we we know that there's a canary net or kind of like an incentivized test net or a live test net uh, with real value called Kusama. And then there is Polkadot 
uh, itself, right? Which is then the main ecosystem. And we've had these parachain auctions uh, or crowd loans on the Kusama net as well now happening on Polkadots. Mm-hmm. Now, one question we always ask every Polkadot project is how you're thinking about it conceptually, right? The differences between Polkadot and Kusama. While there is a kind of default answer that Kusama is supposed to be where you expect chaos and try out all these new features. Uh, but realistically speaking, once you have certain assets, right, you can't just do that, right? And you know, there is their its own community and there are assets on there that you want to protect and incentivize, right? So are they kind of different communities? How are they different? How are you approaching it differently? I think, you know, drawing upon, for example, your fair launch on on Calamari, right? Or more of a fair launch concept, right? So would you like to just share more about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think. You know, just just specifically about like the parachain auctions, and you know, our you know, we with our community launch for Calamari token, we especially felt this um, on Kusama. It's very community driven, um, and you know, like we we won the seventh parachain auction, and we actually broke records for the amount of contributors to our parachain auction. Right, we had over sixteen thousand unique addresses contribute. And, and if I, one thing I really like to do during that time um, was look at our charts, right? We had a graph on our um, page, but also dot market cap. I love going to dot market cap and just looking at the charts. And you see on Kusama, the charts trend pretty linearly, right? Um, but then when you watch the polka dot auctions, right, you see like, you know, this trend linearly and then this like spike and then this trend linearly and then this spike. Right. And so like what that really implies is that the community definitely is very different here. Right. Because Kusama, it's a lot of the community, the smaller guys, and they believe in projects and they want to support them. And you get small amounts of allocation every now and then. Right. But on Polkadot, you know, there are a lot of large institutional investors and whales that are holding and ready to deploy. And so you see like these these quick spikes of like just like contributions in the crowd loan. And so, you know, just from looking at the data, you can definitely distinguish between the two ecosystems. And that speaks volumes to um, to how these ecosystems may or may not diverge. Right. Yes. Uh, Kusama is intended as a canary net, as almost like a, 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 a live test net of sorts. But the reality is, as you mentioned, right, like it, they are completely different ecosystems and they have completely different communities. I think one of the things that we as Manta Network needs to do is we need to create a separate telegram for the Calamari community. And we, we didn't think about this at first. And I think a lot of projects are starting to feel this. Right. Because calamari community really cares about calamari and not all of them care about manta network and so when we start talking about manta network you know these people on telegram they're just like okay but what about calamari what are you guys doing with calamari right so like they they are pretty they can be pretty exclusive ecosystems and the way that we see it is that it, it is starting to diverge right we see projects that are launching on kusama that will stay on kusama and not they have no intention on launching on Polkadot. And, you know, vice versa can happen as well. Um, we see projects that are going for Polkadot parachains that don't even have Kusama parachains yet, right? And so, like, there's this interesting dichotomy that's created. And so, you know, uh, after, like, maybe, I don't know, six months, a year from now, we're probably going to see a pretty, you know, a, a, a handful of projects that are similar on both Polkadot and Kusama, but I think we're going to see a lot of projects emerging that are exclusive to one or the other network. And so that, that kind of speaks to the, the fact that, you know, if, if you launch on Polkadot, 
um, it may be a different value proposition when you launch on Kusama. And so that's something that, you know, for us, um, that's something that we're pretty uh, conscious about and wanted to be focused on because, you know, privacy as a utility can manifest in different ways. And different projects have different, you know, like ecosystems and value propositions and things they care about. For example, you know, Kusama with Remark, right? Like huge NFT marketplace, wildly successful. And, you know, there, there's not really something that's just as huge and popular as Remark on Polkadot yet. Uh, especially because Polkadot doesn't even have parachains, right? And so like, you know, privacy for NFTs, that could be a focus on Kusama that may not necessarily be a focus on Polkadot. Um, but who knows? Awesome. Yeah, so it is, uh, you find it uh, indeed differentiated. I think this is a common thread as well, right? More community-driven for Kusama, more institution-driven uh, for Polkadot, and therefore different use cases, right? Uh, that's quite interesting to when you bring in like the whales and the institutions, because I think the previous examples we talked about were more kind of individual-centric, like why I want to preserve uh, my privacy. Now, when we talk about Polkadot and more whales, more institutions, I wonder whether, you know, the case is stronger or, or different, right? Because I, I remember in some of your other appearances when asked about, like, who's your target customer, really? Uh, and you mentioned it could be institutions who will be, like, the first wave because they often have a business need to obfuscate or keep private some of their activities. Uh, but also, this is a bit weird, right? Because one of the previous episodes, we talked to Alex from Nansen. And his entire agenda uh, for the Nansen product is transparency specifically for institutions, whereas uh, he thinks that individuals like, fine, yeah, of course you can pr uh, preserve privacy, but if you're big, right, we, we need to know, like, it's kind of like an investigative journalism in a way, uh, or in how in the traditional finance world, like, you kind of uh, make sure that these public figures disclose their, their stock trading behavior or uh, public companies need to disclose an insider trading behavior, right? In, in like the case of institutions in Wales, how do you then position Manta? Yeah, I think there's definitely use cases for, uh, I mean, on any level, whether it's institutions, uh, Wales, individuals, right, where, where transparency is and should be required. Um, but there are a lot of other use cases where, you know, it becomes a little tricky of sorts. So I think another very relevant and timely but contrived example um, is, you know, you're, you're a fund and um, there's a lot of funds that focus on the Polkadot ecosystem. And so they have a lot of Polkadot ecosystem portfolio companies. And now it comes time to the Polkadot auctions and they have to support these projects. What do you do? Who do you support more? Who do you give more to? Who do you give less to? How do you do so in a way that doesn't offend every other project, right? <laughs> and so like in this case, privacy is important, right? Like you, you want to, you, you, there's a lot of factors that go into how people think about contributing, whether it's on an individual level or on a fund level, right? And like all those processes and thoughts and, you know, the logic behind it is it's respectable. Um, but at the same time, right? Like, you know, if, if I saw that, you know, the, one of our investors gave everyone else, I don't know, like 500K dot, and then they gave us 10K dot, I would be pretty offended, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, there might be a really good reason why, right? But like, they don't necessarily want to tell us why, because it's kind of their, their IP. Um, and so that's a very, again, contrived example, but it's a very real example for like what's happening right now. And so, you know, I, I, as I mentioned, right, I agree, there are a lot of use cases where the transparency are, is important. 
but there are also a lot of use cases where you know like the transparency isn't necessary and could just cause more issues than you know um, just having that privacy layer. Definitely. So, I mean, this from the fun side, right? But now, thinking from Manta's perspective, wouldn't you want to know, right, how much investors are contributing? Wouldn't you want to know that, you know, they actually play their part? And if they didn't, like, wouldn't you want to ask them as well, right, the reason? Yeah, I mean, definitely, right? But, like, there's there's certain information that, you know, people want to give and certain information that people don't want to give. And so, you know, who ultimately gets to have that deciding factor, right? Should it be private? Should it not be private, right? Like, it's not up to us to decide. But I think it is up to us to give people the optionality of what they want to do one way or another, right? Maybe um, one fund wants to do it all privately, and uh, their portfolio companies are okay with that. Uh, and then another fund wants to do it all privately and their portfolio companies aren't okay with that. Right. And so it's, it's on a case by case basis, but you know, in the event that the the fund does want to do it and their portfolio companies are okay with it, then that optionality should be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I hear from me is it kind of becomes more of like a, a social contract kind of uh, thing where, because it's not so enforceable and not transparent, it, the onus is on you to disclose and you can get a certain kind of like reputation or, or benefits if you choose to disclose uh, certain uh, activities that can be beneficial to yourself uh, or uh, for your portfolio project that you're supporting. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, nothing's ever as simple as it really seems, right? In theory, it all sounds great. But in reality is that there are a lot of considerations um, and, you know, every, every thought process should be respected. And so, you know, being able to give that optionality, I think, is uh, is just a pretty important choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So, since you were talking about the the parachain crop loans, right? Let's go back to that. So, yes. congratulations, of course, on Calamari securing a parachain slot on Kusama itself. And I know that we are probably, you know, going to be one of the first three parachains on Polkadot as well. Would you like to share with us some of the experiences you've learned from the Kusama crowd loan and auction and how you have adapted that for the Polkadot auction as well as maybe any kind of like call to actions? What should people know? Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is that um, it kind of goes back to your previous question about like how the ecosystems are diverging, right? Like the strategies applied on Kusama aren't necessarily the right ways to um, apply onto Polkadot, despite the fact that they may have been successful on Kusama. And we saw this firsthand. Um, so, you know, with Kusama, our crowd loan process was pretty chaotic, given the theme of Kusama. Um, but, you know, for, for Kusama, what we did was we did a fixed ratio of rewards, right? So every one KSM contributed gets 10,000 Manta. Um, as a base, right? O- apart from like all the other rewards with like referrals and stuff. Um, you know, we were thinking about doing the same sort of rewards ratio um, to to Manta Network, right? Um, but when we did that, you know, people were like, oh, you know what? Like your rewards aren't that great compared to like what everyone else is doing. And we looked at what everyone else is doing. We're like, oh, everyone's just, you know, pooling together. And so the, the strategy for Polkadot is pooling together. The strategy for Kusama is, you know, fixed ratio. And so, you know, one, one doesn't necessarily, you know, um, uh, equate to the other in terms of success. And, you know, that's, that's true of everything in life, right? And you can cookie cutter one thing and apply it to something else, and it could be a complete disaster. Um, 
but you know, with that being said, um, I think definitely, you know, there, there is a lot of technical things that we've learned along the way, um, that would, uh, would help us with future auctions. Right. So like very small things, um, you know, one is that, you know, when you, when you set a hard cap, for example, um, then that hard cap is hard coded, um, and changeable until the first, um, contribution is made. And then once the first contribution is made, then it's permanent. And then um, on the, um, for example, state mine, right? Like the the, the first, I guess, parachain. Um, it's uh, there. There's certain uh, ticker symbol requirements. Um, so, for example, you know, we we originally wanted to do Manta's ticker symbol as MA, but you know, uh, interacting with other parachains, there are some requirements to have like minimum amount of letters in your ticker symbol. And that was three. So, so we had to change Manta from MA to Manta, <laughs> uh, which, you know, it's kind of weird. We were okay with it, but MA had significance to us, not just because of Manta, but because we all met in Massachusetts. Ah, nice. um, yeah, but, you know, we have to change that now. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's small technical things that we learn. Bigger um, uh, learnings were more so just on like the community differences. Um, and what people are incentivized by and, you know, like uh, the, the types of contributors, uh, all things we've previously discussed. Indeed, indeed. And of course, one, one thing we, we like to talk about is then, you know, the sustainability of auctions, right? Uh, I think every project is uh, having their own strategy to build up their own treasury so that they can afford future auctions as well. And I'm sure Manta is having some similar thoughts. Would you like to share, you know, what are some concrete plans that you're really thinking about or put in place in order to win future auctions and be there as a parachain and utility layer for years to come? Um, I'll break this down into three categories, right? Um, one is product. Two is, or not product more so than delivery. Uh, one is delivery. Um, two is a reserve. And three is a cost. And so I, I'll kind of go through these backwards. So the cost, right? Like, and we're kind of seeing this on Kusama now, right? Like the cost of these upcoming auctions are actually a lot less than the previous ones. And it was kind of interesting because the dynamics of the first batch made it so that the first batch was actually less expensive than the second batch, right? <laughs> because everyone, I guess, started FOMOing in. Um, so, but, you know, so, so the cost, right? Like we do anticipate that the cost of the parachains will be reduced. Uh, and we see that already currently trending. Um, and, you know, there are 100 parachain slots that, you know, are currently trying to be, you know, uh, occupied. Uh, and then, you know, there's this cycle of rent and repeat between them. But um, as, you know, these, these once, I guess, very expensive positions become more commodity-based, then we anticipate that the cost will be lower. Um, two is the reserve. Right. And so, um, you know, you can see it in Calamari. You can see it in Manta. We have not released the full allocation of every token or the, the full allocation of the tokens we have reserved for crowd loans. And so those allocations work towards future crowd loans as well for rewards for that. Um, and then the third is delivery. Right. I think this is the most critical piece because, you know, um, if you can't deliver on your product, then you're held responsible to the community once your parachain expires, right? And so I guess it becomes a question of like whether the community believes in what you're doing anymore. And so if you're able to deliver, there's the, it, it creates this ripple effect 
of, um, you know, a lot of other things that kind of fall into place, right? Because you, you create an amazing uh, product or project and you have a lot of utility for your token. People want your token, right? And so that, that creates value for your entire ecosystem and you've shown that you're able to deliver. And so your, your, your project is able to hit that next level, right? Like right now, yes, we have test nets. Um, yes, we've done some sort of, you know, collaborations with one another and done like testnet transactions, but the real game begins once mainnet launches, right? And so that's that's when we really have to show the community that, hey, we're we're not just trying to, you know, do some fly-by-night thing, we're actually delivering products. And that's what we're going to be seeing on, in the next year in Kusama and the next two years on Polkadot. And, you know, the ones that can deliver I think they're going to have a much easier time in securing continuous parachains and the ones that can't deliver, right? Like it's just natural selection there. <laughs> nice. So I hear from you like a, a very strong emphasis on actually the product itself and delivering value to the users. And that's always a great starting point, right? And then we can figure out the value capture later, you know, be it fees and so on, build up your own like uh, sovereign fund uh, to participate in future auctions or like, you know, the reserve maybe just be enough because the token value may be sufficient to reward users at the lower cost that we're going to see in future auctions. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. Well, yes, so are you going to add something? Oh, no, I was just... Um, you know, this is just one other thought is that privacy as a utility, right? Like it's, it, I think one could argue that potentially it's a public good. Um, it's a utility. Uh, it should be a fundamental right within the network. Right. And so if we do, it's been an idea that's been kind of floated by, right. Like having us as like, or like, not, not like floated by as in like, you know, Polkadot floated it by, but like internally, we're thinking like, should, should Manta Network be a public good service, right? And so like, that's also another option of, you know, uh, but at the same time, right, like we first need to prove ourselves, we need to build the products, we need to ship the products, we need to ship out the privacy as a utility, and then we can, you know, figure it out from there. Mm, mm. That is indeed a, an interesting path to go down, because there is a pathway for public goods parachains as well, right? Which would uh, bypass the whole uh, crowd loan and auction need. Hmm. Yeah, I would love to see more projects actually start to think about it this way. Right? I think previously we we saw some things around like bridges and uh, mm -hmm. well, uh, other kind of yeah utilities, but we haven't really seen uh, public goods parachains come up, right? So yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm sure they'll start emerging, right? Like we are still in nascency. Um, parachains are just starting to launch. Projects are just starting to push products, right? And so there's still a long way to go. And last thing you want is a public goods um, service that doesn't really work well, right? And so we, we have to prove ourselves first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, we'll come to that uh, when we need to cross it. Yes. So I'd like to wrap up as usual with a bit of... Uh, advice that you might have for other founders in general or specifically for founders in the Polkadot ecosystem? What would you like to share? Um, man, uh, so actually, you know, this is something that I think Dan kind of inspired this thought in me. I was talking with him, I think in, um, I think either in New York or maybe, maybe in Paris, uh, Dan from Akala, right? And so like, he was talking to me about like the polka dot parachains and we were thinking about like what this sort of implies. And there's a bigger picture perspective here, which is like, you know, everyone 
we're all so focused on, you know, winning a parachain. And then the community is all focused on like, you know, getting parachain projects up and running and getting rewards and all this stuff. Right. But like, there's a bigger impact here because, you know, we're, we're one of the first projects that are going to be launching on Polkadot and Kusama. And so we're, we're setting the stage for what the ecosystem will really look like, right? The right ecosystem will help the entire project, entire ecosystem prosper, right? Whereas if, you know, it's the wrong projects, right? And it could just be like, oh, well, you know, Polkadot is, you know, no longer the cool, cool kid in town, right? And so like, there's a lot of responsibility there, right? Because like, once you secure the parachain, you have to push project product, not just for your own project, but for the future of the Polkadot ecosystem. Um, and on top of that, right, there's a lot of new ideas, new projects that are currently in development or haven't even started development yet, right? And these are projects that, you know, they're, they're going to need help. And so as one of the first parachain projects, I think like, you know, we definitely have that responsibility, not just to push out our own product, but to, to be more responsible to the broader ecosystem. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're all starting to build out, you know, the, the, the funds to be able to support future projects. Um, and so I think that's a very important step. And I think like, you know, everyone who is building um, new projects in the Polkadot ecosystem should definitely take advantage of those sorts of treasuries, right? Because like, it, it's not just bringing funds and money to the table, which is very important for hiring the right talent. But it also is, you know, being able to get networked in very quickly, communicate with other projects, which, again, is a required piece for cross-chain communication, right? Like, I, I, we have to know who you are. We have to know what you're doing. We have to trust you, right? And so, like, there, there, it's interesting because that, there is that interpersonal layer on top of the technology layer. Um, so for anyone building in the Polkadot ecosystem, right, like one, take advantage of all the grants, the funds, et cetera, that, that are either already here or will be here. Um, and two, you know, like just reach out. I think the Polkadot ecosystem is, is positioned in a very unique way where everyone is extremely helpful. Everyone is extremely open and everyone wants to collaborate. Uh, and so, you know, those are, yeah, those are the two things, I guess. <laughs> nice. Nice. A more message to wrap it up. Yeah. Is there anything <laughs> else uh, you'd like to talk about or maybe you'd like to share some call to action uh, for Manta itself or how can people reach you? Where should people go? Yeah, um, I mean, I am always on Telegram. I think everyone in our community has talked to me at least once. Um, so if you want to get a direct answer very quickly, just ping me on Telegram in the community chat. I'm always there. Um, in terms of, you know, a piece of information that's pretty interesting is that today is Manta Network's birthday. Uh, and so we're officially, you know, one year old. And so, you know, we've done a lot uh, since since the, the, the project first began. And we're really proud of what we've built and will continue to build. And, uh, you know, we are going through the parachain auctions right now. And so, you know, if you are a believer in privacy um, and you want to see it in the Polkadot ecosystem, I would definitely recommend that you you know, take a look at us. Um, I, I think like we're, I think we are the only privacy option for, for the first uh, parachain batch. Um, and also it'd be an awesome birthday present for Manta Network. So, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So thank you guys very much. Really appreciate it. And thank you for all the questions. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was really fun. Thank you so much as well, Kenny. It's an incredible conversation. Thanks for your time. Anytime. All right. Thanks, everyone, and see you next time. Bye.